We're going to spend at least three weeks, maybe more, on the text that we are beginning to look at this morning, the text that I just read to you from John chapter 12, 20 to 36. The situation is this. Some Greeks asked to see Jesus. Now, obviously, this means more than simply just to lay eyes on Jesus, which anyone in the crowd could have easily done as Jesus passed by. All you need to know is where Jesus is going to be and just go there and you'll literally just see Jesus, lay eyes on him. But it's obvious that when these Greeks come and say that they want to see Jesus, they meant that they wanted an audience with him. They wanted to have a conversation with Jesus. That's the situation that occasions what Jesus says in verses 23 to 36. And today we're beginning to explore this section. As I said, we're going to take at least three weeks, maybe more, in this section. John 12, 20 to 36. We're beginning to explore this section today, but we're looking at only one idea from this section this morning. The idea that Jesus is like a grain of wheat, which gives itself up in order to bear much fruit. That's what we're focusing on on this morning. However, before we even come to that, the first thing that we should observe, that we should note, is that Jesus appears to ignore the request of the Greeks altogether. It appears that Jesus ignores the request of the Greeks to meet with him. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. That's verse 22. And Jesus answered them. And on and on Jesus goes through the end of verse 36. And then John's gospel moves on. And nowhere do we see Jesus responding directly to the Greeks' request to see him. The explanation for this is really quite simple. The text doesn't tell us that Jesus didn't meet with the Greeks. The text doesn't tell us that Jesus didn't respond to the Greeks in any way. Perhaps Jesus did send a message back to them by means of Andrew and Philip, who had brought their request to Jesus in the first place. In fact, common courtesy would likely necessitate that that is just what Jesus did. It's most likely that Jesus did respond to them in one way or another. That he either said, yeah, sure, let's meet tomorrow afternoon in this place or that place. Or perhaps Jesus said, you know, I'm sorry, but I've got a lot going on this week and I can't meet with you. We don't know exactly what happened with request to the specific request of the Greeks. However, John's concern is evidently not to record for posterity whatever Jesus privately said to the Greeks. There's lots that's omitted. In fact, at the end of John's Gospel, John tells us that if everything was written down, the whole world couldn't even contain everything. So obviously John has been selective in terms of what he's included and what he's omitted. And for John, it just wasn't important to record specifically what Jesus said in response to the Greeks. But it was important for John to record the request of the Greeks in the first place, Because what Jesus says publicly here in this section is related to and is in response to the request of the Greeks to see Jesus. And so John omits Jesus' direct response to them, but includes their request and includes what Jesus said publicly in response 
to their request. As D.A. Carson says, in the record that we have of this incident in John's Gospel, Jesus does not respond to the direct request of the Gentiles, but to the situation that their request represented. So what is the situation that their request represented? Carson goes on to say, at the very moment when the Jewish authorities are turning most virulently against Jesus, some Gentiles begin to clamor for his attention. This is one of the great themes, Carson says, of Romans chapters 9 through 11. Apart from a remnant, Israel as a whole rejects their Messiah. But Jesus sweeps into his covenant community large numbers of Gentiles. So what is happening here is that Jesus' rejection by the Jews is reaching a climax. And Jesus' acceptance by the Gentiles is beginning. The interest in the Gentiles, the interest among the Gentiles in the Jewish Messiah is beginning. We talked last week about Jesus' time or Jesus' hour. The hour for his death and resurrection is drawing nigh. And that hour, the hour for his death and resurrection, is also the hour for the establishment of the new covenant. The participants of which will be comprised not of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's biological children, as the old covenant was, but the participants of the new covenant will be Abraham's spiritual children, what Romans 9 calls the children of promise, those who are of faith, from among both the Jews and the Gentiles. More on this later, but suffice it to say for now that Jesus' awareness of this development in God's plan is what prompts his teaching here in this section of Scripture, John 12, 20 to 36. And the first thing that Jesus teaches in this context where the Jews have almost reached this climax, this crescendo of rejecting him, and the Gentiles are beginning to show an interest in him. What Jesus says at this moment, at this hour, at this time, the first thing that Jesus teaches on at this time is the nature of his death. Jesus begins first by stating that his hour has come. Look in the text at verse 23. Jesus answered them, the hour has come. Andrew and Philip go with this request. Some Gentiles that want to meet with Jesus. Uh, Jesus responds, the hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus knows that he is the Passover lamb to be slaughtered at the feast. He is going to be rejected largely by the Jews. But he is going to be proclaimed among and believed in by the Gentiles for salvation. He is going to be glorified then. 
Jesus is going to be glorified then among the Gentiles, among the nations, as the Lord and Savior of mankind who came from heaven to rescue us. As God's plan reaches its crescendo at the cross and the Jews reject Jesus and God sends the apostles forth to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified among the Gentiles. As Jesus' gospel goes forth, and more and more believe, history will steadily progress from this point forward in our text until the whole earth is as full of the knowledge of the glory of the Son of Man as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14 And Jesus goes on to explain the reason for His glory or the basis upon which His glory rests. As the Jews reject Him and as He's crucified and as He's resurrected and as He is preached among the Gentiles, He will receive glory as the one who gave Himself up for others. This is the nature of His glory, which is why He goes from the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified to truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, what's the relationship? The nature of His glory is the nature of a grain of, is analogous, pardon me, the nature of His glory is analogous to a grain of wheat falling into the earth and dying and bringing forth much fruit. You see, the nature of Jesus' death will be like the so-called death and burial of a grain of wheat. As a grain of wheat gives itself up and dies and is buried, so to speak, and in doing so yields much fruit, so Jesus will give himself up and die and be buried and so yield much fruit. This is the clear implication of verse 24. Jesus' death will be for the sake of fruitfulness. So the nature of Jesus' death is that it will be like the burial of a grain of wheat which bears much fruit. What then will be the fruit of his death? If his death is for the sake of fruitfulness, what will be the fruit of his death? There is in this section a digression from the main, this main thought where Jesus teaches about some other things in the intervening verses. But Jesus picks up in verse 32 this idea of his death being like a grain of wheat which yields fruit. No, admittedly, he doesn't use the analogy explicitly again. He doesn't, in verse 32, talk about wheat. But in verse 32, we see what the fruit of his death will be. He says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The fruit of Jesus' death, which according to verse 33 is what he is referring to when he says he will be lifted up. The fruit of Jesus' death will be the drawing of all people to himself. So when a grain of wheat dies, it brings forth the fruitfulness of a field of wheat, a harvest of wheat. When Jesus dies, He will bring forth the fruit of drawing all people to Himself. 
Now remember that John 6, 44 teaches that whoever is drawn to Jesus is also raised up on the last day. So being drawn is equivalent then to salvation. Listen to John 6, 44, unless anyone is inclined, in case anyone is inclined to dispute. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Pretty straightforward. If you're, if you're drawn by the Father, you will be raised up on the last day. So if you are drawn to Jesus, you will be raised up. So drawing is equivalent to salvation. And so here we have two options. When Jesus says that he will draw all men to himself, we either have to say that Jesus means that all people without exception will be drawn to him and therefore saved. Every single person, ever, everywhere on the earth. Or Jesus means that all kinds of people will be drawn to him and therefore saved. Of course, we know from many other scriptures that not all people without exception will be saved. And therefore, the first option cannot be correct. And that doesn't really fit the context anyway, because remember the context is about these Gentiles who want to see Jesus. So what, what, would, what would the relevance be if what Jesus meant is that all people will be saved by his death? doesn't really fit the context very well. It's not easy to see how that's related. Rather, the second option fits the context much better, that Jesus means that all kinds of people will be drawn to him when he dies. The Gentiles were seeking to meet with Jesus, and Jesus is teaching that yes, yes, the hour has come for him to be rejected by the Jews and to be believed in by the Gentiles. Yes, yes, the hour has come for the Gentiles to receive access into the Holy of Holies, which in the tabernacle system and in the temple system was reserved only for the Jews. Yes, the hour is here. The hour has come when the Gentiles may meet with Jesus, may, draw, may come into intimacy with Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Therefore, Jesus is saying something like this. When I am lifted up, I will indeed draw all kinds of people to myself, not Jews only, but also Gentiles. Yes, indeed, the Gentiles may meet with me and know me. Yes, indeed, I am not a savior of Jews only, but also of Gentiles. Jesus is about to die as a grain of wheat dies, so to speak, and is buried in order to bring forth much fruit. Jesus is about to die in order to bring all kinds of people to himself, rich and poor, young and old, black and white, Jew and Gentile. He is giving himself up for the sake of our salvation. All kinds of people. There is no demographic who can say Jesus 
didn't give himself up for people like me. There is no demographic that can say Jesus wasn't trying to bring about a harvest of people like me. Jesus was going to die and be buried as a grain of wheat dies and is buried to bring forth a harvest of all kinds of people. All manner of people, including the Gentiles who are now seeking an audience with him. This is the fruitfulness that Jesus is aiming at in his death. The hour has come for Jesus to be glorified, for him to be proclaimed as and seen as and believed on as the grain of wheat which gave himself up for a whole harvest. The hour has come for him to be glorified as that grain of wheat. What glory has a grain of wheat, you say? How is it glorious that Jesus is like a grain of wheat that gives himself up for a harvest? There's a story which I've now seen on social media several times. You may have seen it or heard it as well. There is a doctor who explains to a young boy that his sister needs a blood donor with the same type of blood as hers. The boy happens to have that same type of blood running through his veins. The doctor explains to the boy that it is a matter of life and death that his sister receive this donation, whether from the boy or from somebody else. But the doctor puts it to the boy, you have this kind of blood and you could be a donor. Would you like to donate your blood for your sister so that she might live? The boy thinks soberly and yet briefly about it and quickly concludes that yes, he will donate his blood. He hugs his parents and then allows the doctor to stick the needle in his arm. After a few moments, the doctor says that they're finished. And the boy asks, now when will I die? You see, the doctor realizes that the boy misunderstood when he said that it was a matter of life and death. And the boy thought that he himself would die by giving his blood in order that his sister would live. And yet the boy quickly agreed to do it. The boy hugged his parents and let the doctor stick him, thinking all the while that as the blood was drawn from him that he was going to die, that his sister would live. In spite of the high cost that the boy thought that he would have to pay, he was willing to give his own blood that his sister would live. Ah, what love. Dare I say, what glory. Isn't this what we mean when we say to a young boy like this, we salute you, right, or respect. Isn't this what we mean, that there's some, there is something glorious about that, there's something good, wonderful, pleasing, important, weighty, admirable about that. Isn't there some kind of glory about a boy that would so willingly give his life for his dear sister? 
Isn't there something glorious about a grain of wheat that would die in order to bring forth some kind of fruit? The Lord Jesus Christ did not misunderstand. It would really be His life for ours. And yet He was like this boy willing to die so that we would live. For that result, for that fruit, Jesus was prepared to be like a grain of wheat that gives itself up and dies and is buried. There really is something glorious about a grain of wheat that gives itself up to bring about a harvest, isn't there? Christ Jesus, we salute you. Respect to Christ Jesus. Glory. Glory to the lamb who was slain, to the grain of wheat which gave itself up for a harvest. This is what will be proclaimed among the Gentiles. The hour had come in this passage. The hour had come for Jesus to fulfill this mission. God had planned that this would be the nature of His work. The Jews didn't see, didn't understand that this was the nature of the Messiah's work. And because He wouldn't be their political savior, and because He wouldn't fit the mold of their religious expectations, because He wouldn't dance to their tune. Remember, Jesus says, you're like a crowd of children that says, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. What Jesus is saying is, you people are like people that just want me to dance to your tune. And you get upset when I don't. Because Jesus didn't really fit the messianic expectations, he was rejected. He came to his own and his own received him not. But he went and did what the Father had sent him to do. To give himself up like a grain of wheat in order to bring forth the harvest. And the apostles, by the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit, made clear for us, unpacking for us the nature of the work of Christ Jesus. Even Jesus' contemporaries very often misunderstood him, even his own disciples. But when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, he made clear. Even Jesus, after his resurrection, remember, taught the disciples for 40 days. And then the Holy Spirit came and made clear. And then the apostles unfolded for us in the New Testament writings. This was the nature of the Messiah's work. And some Jews believed. Most rejected, but some Jews believed. That remnant, as Carson says. The true Israel. And the true Israel was not those believing Jews only. 
But that true Israel was comprised also of believing Gentiles. And those Jews and those Gentiles together were drawn to this Messiah, to this Jesus, are being drawn. You, Christian, are among those people who when Christ was lifted up, He drew to Himself. And we, who appreciate the true nature of the Messiah's work because of the Holy Spirit's ministry to us through the writings of the apostles and the prophets, we see glory in this grain of wheat. Who died and was buried in order to bring about a harvest. When Jesus died, he bore the full wrath of God in his death that we deserved, that we were owed for our sin, what we had earned because of our sin. And when Jesus bore the full wrath of God in his death on our behalf, when God had paid out to him our wages, there was no longer any need for Jesus to remain in the grave. And so he arose. And because he completed the work that God gave him in his death, not only he himself was raised, but also those who believe in him. Jesus is called the first fruits from the dead, which is harvest language, you see. Jesus rose and we who believed in him will also rise. And this is his harvest. Did you ever wonder what 1 Corinthians 15 could be referring to when it says that Jesus rose according to the scriptures? Where in the Old Testament does it speak about Jesus' resurrection? There are a few places, but one is Isaiah 53. We're familiar with some verses earlier. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What is this referring to? The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, of course, right? If we read on in that passage, Isaiah 53. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. This is verse 10. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. We're still talking about his crucifixion, right? When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. You see, when the work of the Messiah, of giving up himself, of being pierced 
for our transgressions, when that work was complete, when his soul made this offering for guilt, he sees offspring and he has more days. This is one of the implicit prophecies of the resurrection. Christ Jesus will see the fruit of his death and burial. When a countless multitude is gathered around the throne, praising the grain of wheat who died and was buried to bring it all about. Jews and Gentiles, young and old, rich and poor, black and white, every demographic on the earth together, all men drawn to Jesus, the fruit of his death and his burial. When that countless multitude is gathered around the throne, praising the Lamb, praising the grain of wheat, then and there will we see most clearly, most poignantly, the harvest, the fruitfulness that was brought about by Jesus dying like a grain of wheat. Soar we now where Christ has led, following our exalted head. Made like Him, like Him we rise. This will be the fruit of Christ's death and burial. Hallelujah.